ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Bhagavad Gita as it is translation and commentary by his divine grace Srila AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupad chapter 7 text 26 Vedaham samatitani vartamanani charjuna bhavishyani cha bhutani mantu vedana kaschana O Arjuna as the supreme personality of Godhead I know everything that has that has happened in the past all that is happening in the present and all things that are yet to come <coughs> i also know all living entities but me no one knows for part here the question of personality and impersonality is clearly stated if krishna the form of the supreme personality of godhead were maya material as the impersonalists consider to him to be then like the living entity he would change his body and forget everything about his past life <coughs> anyone with a material body cannot remember his past life nor can he foretell his future life nor can he predict the outcome of his present life therefore he cannot know what is happening in past present and future unless one is liberated from material contamination he cannot know past present and future Unlike the ordinary human being Lord Krishna clearly says that he completely knows what happened in the past what is happening in the present and what will happen in the future In the fourth chapter we have seen that Lord Krishna remembers instructing Vivasvan the sun god millions of years ago Krishna knows every living entity because he is situated in every living being's heart as the super soul but despite his presence in every living entity as super soul and his presence as the supreme personality of godhead the less intelligent even if able to realize the impersonal brahman cannot realize shri krishna as the supreme person certainly the transcendental body of shri krishna is not perishable he is just like the sun and maya is like a cloud in the material world we can see that there is the sun and that there are clouds and different stars and planets the clouds may cover all these in the sky temporarily but this covering is only apparent to our limited vision the sun moon and stars are not actually covered similarly maya cannot cover the supreme lord by his internal potency he is not manifest to the less intelligent class of men as it is stated in the third verse of this chapter out of millions and millions of men some try to become perfect in this human form of life and out of thousands and thousands of such perfected men hardly one can understand what lord krishna is even if one is perfected by realization of impersonal brahman or localized paramatma he cannot possibly understand the supreme personality of godhead shri krishna without being in krishna consciousness hmm shila prabhupada is very kindly presented us bhagavad gita as it is because even though krishna speaks 
very straightforwardly and very clearly as Prabhupada demonstrates to us through his purports on Bhagavad Gita as it is, because our intelligence is twisted and perverted. Therefore, even Krishna's straightforward words, we tend to misinterpret them. And if we're not ourselves expert enough in misinterpreting them, then we go to a bogus guru who misinterprets them for us. This is our unfortunate condition. We like to hear Bhagavad Gita as it isn't. We like to hear Bhagavad Gita that just like Aham Sarvasya Prabhava, I am the source of everything. Oh yes, I am the source of everything. We like to think ourselves. Soham. When Krishna says, I am supreme, that means I am supreme. The fool and the rascal thinks. And when the bogus gurus interpret like that, it becomes a very popular interpretation of Bhagavad Gita. I've, someone said to me, I've read more than 30 interpretations of Bhagavad Gita. Interpretation means you, you didn't get Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita means as it is, but the tendency of sinful living beings who want to avoid Krishna and make a show of being pious is to take the message of Bhagavad Gita and reinterpret it, malinterpret it, and end up with anything but surrender to Krishna, which is the message of Bhagavad Gita. So Prabhupada has given his elaborate purports just to make clear what was very clear to Arjuna. Arjuna didn't require the purports. Arjuna understood it as it is. The evidence of that is that Arjuna surrendered to Krishna. Krishya vachanam tava nashto mohang smite labdha tvat prasadam mayachuta stitosmi gatasandaya krishya vachanam Arjuna said that now my doubts are cleared away by hearing you, Krishna. I'm free from illusion. My I, I've regained my consciousness by your mercy. Achuta, you whose consciousness is never perverted, you whose consciousness is never uh, misdirected. So now I'm fixed in proper understanding and I'm ready. The symptom of that is that I'm ready to execute your order. So Prabhupada in the introduction to Bhagavad Gita makes the point that Bhagavad Gita is to be understood as Arjuna understood it. He is the ideal disciple of Bhagavad Gita, the ideal follower of Bhagavad Gita. Unfortunately, many people have the idea that Krishna and Arjuna, there was just some time passed before the battle. There's a little time, what will we do? Okay, let's talk a little philosophy. And then, uh, and then Vyas wrote it down, and yeah, it was pretty good philosophy, let's discuss it. What do you think this, well, I think it means that. Well, no, maybe, I think it means this. Well, that's a pretty good interpretation. Well, what about that idea? And in this way, they take it just, uh, Bhagavad Gita, oh, great philosopher, Krishna. But 
what actually he's saying to surrender to him. Because he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who knows everything past, present and future, who is the source of everything, who is the controller of everything, who is the center of everything. He is, he is by constitution, worshipable. By constitu- English is not a very good language. He's not constitu- Krishna is not constituted of anything. He's not uh, made by anyone. Krishna, his constitutional position is to be the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Prabhupada would often talk about the constitutional position of the living entity that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu described. Jivesarupai Krishna Nittadas Krishna Tatashta Shakti Bheda Bhed Prakash. The constitutional position of the living being is that he is the eternal servant of Krishna. He is Krishna's marginal potency. Simultaneously different and non-different from Krishna. So that is the constitutional position of the jiva and the constitutional position of Krishna. Krishna Surubhai Jiva Nitya Prabhu. He is the eternal master of all living beings. Krishna establishes this in Bhagavad Gita in verses such as the one which I happened to open the book on today. Now, even though what Krishna is speaking should be straightforward and clear, as in this shloka, he says that I know everything past, present and future. I know all living beings. But me, no one knows. Should be clear, but it's difficult for us to understand because we have unclear intelligence. Therefore, we should go to those whose consciousness is clear. Savigyanartam sagurum evabhigacca. We should be go to those whose consciousness is clear to have this transcendental science explained to us. Otherwise, if we simply try to read Bhagavad Gita, we won't understand it. Bhagavad Gita is described as the preliminary knowledge of spiritual life. But it's not so easy. Bhagavad Gita is Gita Upanishad. It is an, considered an Upanishad. Upanishad means the disciple approaches the Guru. Guru teaches the disciple. So here we have Krishna. Krishnang Vande Jagat Gurum. He is the Guru of all Gurus. He's the Guru of the whole universe. And Arjuna is the ideal disciple. This Gita, Gita Upanishad, it is the essence of all the Upanishads. Upanishad means Vedanta, the ultimate knowledge of the Vedas. Veda means that which is to be, that which is to be known. So the ultimate knowledge of Veda is Vedanta, Upanishads. 
So that is summarized in two ways, Vedanta Sutra and in another way as Bhagavad Gita. So the knowledge of the Upanishads is not so easy. Veda, Veda Shastra is not so easy to understand. Generally it's required that one should know Sanskrit before he can even enter into this knowledge because many of the, there are so many linguistic intricacies, subtleties, even many words they can be understood in different ways, just like the word Atma, sometimes it's understood as body, sometimes it's understood as soul, sometimes as mind, sometimes as the Supreme Lord. Therefore, we require a guru to explain this to us. Prabhupada is very nicely explained. Otherwise, the tendency is that we will misunderstand. And if we misunderstand, then we don't get the benefit because Bhagavad Gita is meant to give us knowledge. There are for less intelligent people, there are recommendations that you do Gita part. You, you recite one chapter of Bhagavad Gita. If you read chapter one, you get the benediction that you go to heaven in your next life or something like that. I don't know. They have these Gita Mahatmyas. So if you read chapter two daily, then all your health problems are solved or something like this. But this is... Or doing, people think, we'll do Gita part, we'll recite, just reciting the verses. And it's very pious. But that is simply reciting the verses is not the purpose of Bhagavad Gita. The purpose of Bhagavad Gita is to understand what Krishna is saying. We may get some pious result from reciting the verses, but we will get a result better than pious by understanding what Krishna is saying. If we understand what Krishna is saying, then we won't want any more pious results because we'll understand that piety is all this shubha karma. That's also the desire for punya karma fall. That's also an obstacle on the path of attaining Krishna bhakti, which is the actual message of Gita. Krishna decries this in Bhagavad If we actually, instead of just reciting the verses, if we actually understand what they mean, then we'll see. Tetang bhuktva swarga lokam vishalam kshine punye marcha lokam vishanti evang trai dharma manu prapana gatagatam kama kama labhante This mundane piety at its apex brings us up to the heavenly planets. To enjoy, then when we've enjoyed, finished. Okay, get down. Back to Bombay. Get back to work. Do a few more yagyas. Not Bombay. No one from Bombay goes to heaven. They put in the newspaper. Swaga prapt. We doubt it. Very much. That one has to live a pious life. It's, it, practically it's not possible to live a pious life in Bombay. One can't follow the rules. People think, oh, I'm very pious. I'm vegetarian. Don't eat onions either. Very pious. 
But we can't follow all the we can't follow the actual rules of piety in these modern cities. Just like just a simple example. If one actually wants to be pious according to the Vedic prescription, don't drink tap water because it's impure. You have to take from a from a river or a pure well which is not used by low class people. Bottled water also. It's also handled by who knows who? So you can't live a pious life according to the Vedic prescription. It's impossible in the modern city. If you're living in a in an apartment block where people are eating meat, or if you're if you, if we're having uh, any kind of regular social intercourse with such people, we can't live a pious life. Even there are people who think that I'm leading a very pious life as a Brahmin, following all our family traditions. I do puja every morning before I go to work. What, Brahmin going to work? What is that Brahmin going to work? And he's not a Brahmin. He's a Shudra by Vritti. By uh, the Bhagavatam states, Shvavritti. To accept employment is the means of livelihood of a dog. So he's not a Brahmin. What we think is pious, it's a long, long way short of what is the traditional standard or what is the Shastric standard. So fortunately, Krishna instructs us in Bhagavad Gita that although piety is better than impiety, it's, be it's better to be a pious Brahmin than a Rakshasa. But that being pious, that piety being better than impiety, is like dry stool being better than wet stool. It doesn't stink so much. And if you accidentally put your foot in it, it doesn't, it's not so bad. But still it's stool. So similarly, both Shubha and Ashubha karma, they bind us in this material world. They help us to forget Krishna. So from the ultimate viewpoint or the standpoint of Krishna consciousness or the standpoint of reality, piety is just as bad as impiety because it's just another way to forget Krishna. We say punya and pap, but if that so-called punya is the means of forgetting Krishna, which it inevitably is, then it's just a refined form of selfishness, a refined form of forgetting Krishna. Generally, punya is recommended rather than pap. Why? That's, that's given in Shastra. Shastra recommends do punya karma in karma kanda section. Because if we do punya, that generally will help in creating a situation more favorable for becoming Krishna conscious. Generally speaking. In a very broad way. Because if one is very sinful, 
He doesn't accept the Vedic directions. But at least if one follows the karma kanda section of the Vedas, at least he has some primary faith in the Vedas. So that's the beginning. And in the karma kanda section, there is recognition of Vishnu. Not in a proper way, in a perverted way. Because conditioned souls want sense gratification. So the Vedas offer, I have sense gratification. You also worship Vishnu, he'll give you some. He's very powerful. He can give you some sense gratification. Or you recite Vishnu Sahasranam. It's very good, you'll get free of all your sins. And that's it. Reciting the name of Krishna to get rid of sins, then I won't have to suffer so much. Very good. I'm sinning and calling the name of Vishnu and he'll come and clean up all my stool. This is their idea. So it's not a very, it's not a devotional outlook. But it gives an opportunity to, at least in some marginal manner, come in contact with Krishna. Also, because executing punya karma, that tries to inculcate some kind of selflessness rather than the selfishness, which is endemic to every conditioned living soul. People want sense gratification. He said, well, you distribute food to others and you will get more sense gratification in the next life. So he's distributing food to others. Distributing food to others, oh, that's very good, you're helping others. His aim is not to help others, his aim is to get sense gratification for himself. But by doing that, by helping others, even on the bodily platform, the beginnings of some selflessness may be implanted in the consciousness. Also, if one performs pious activities, which I'm Pious activities means to help others, generally on the bodily platform. Then uh, some Vaishnav Seva may be there also. Just like, for instance, it's recommended plant trees on the side of the road. Because when people are walking on the road, it's before they had air conditioned cars. When they're walking on the road, they'll get some shade. So it's very good to plant trees to shade from the heat. So that is to help people to slightly mitigate their suffering in this miserable material world. So someone may go to heaven by performing such pious activities and the trees which remain after he has gone, every person that comes and takes the shade, he will get more punya while he's up in heaven. Punya. Not only kshine punya martyalokam, not only is the punya becoming kshin, but even when he's in heaven, due to his previous pious activities, he's getting some extra bonus. Now, if a Vaishnav happens to come along that road, then he will, the person who planted the trees will get a different kind of punya from that he intended by planting the trees. He planted the trees so he could get a pious result for enjoying sense gratification. But even inadvertently, if he does Vaishnav Seva, then 
that is called bhaktiyanmukhi sukriti. That means some kind of pious result which is favorable for the development of bhakti. He doesn't know. I've done some service to a Vaishnava. He doesn't know what is the value of serving Vaishnavas. But without his knowledge, even after he's left that body, some increment of service to a Vaishnava is there. So that becomes some points, unknown points he got. That bhakti and mukhi sukriti, pious activities that are favorable for development of the bhakti bhavana, mood of devotion to Krishna, that may develop in many ways. If one is, if it's sinful living, by due to sinful activities, one has got the body of a dog, and somehow he gets to eat some Vishnu prasadam. He doesn't know. For him it's food. I'm so lucky. I got some food. The dog doesn't discriminate. This is prasadam. But he gets the benefit. Bhakti and Mukhi Sukriti. So devotees move in this world for the sake of benefiting others. Devotees live for the benefit of others. Etavaj Janmasafal Yang Dehinami Hadehishu Pranarata Dhyavacha Shreya Acharanam Sada. This is the topmost perfection. This is the highest limit of making Safalya, making a success of our life is to perform welfare activities for others in turn by our very life, by our money, by our intelligence, by our words. Be a success. In our Krishna Conscious Movement we are preaching, be a success, don't be a failure. You will say, well, that's very good. That's what we teach in the schools too. Be a success. But our idea of success is a different idea to that of what is taught in the school. Be a success means work hard, get a degree from a good college, get a good job. That means be a high-class dog. Get a good job, earn lots of money, Drink foreign whiskey. Why only Indian whiskey? Drink genuine Scottish whiskey. Fly out to America for a bypass surgery when you get a heart attack. This is a su success. But Krishna conscious understanding of success and failure is that everything without Krishna is a failure. Everything. Now there's a new Prime Minister of India. 
So, if his mother were alive today, I don't think she is. She's pretty old. So uh, she would think, "Oh, my son has become a great success. How many su- how many such successes have there been?" I was just reading in the flight, the magazine, the story of J. R. D. Tata, one of the greatest success stories of modern India. How? Anyway, I mean, you should know. Every half the products you buy are Tata. Highly spearheaded Indian industry. The founder of airlines in India, Air India was founded by him, and he also had the brilliant idea to promote family planning in India, which has done so much benefit to India. So many people have committed sinful activities by artificial contraception and abortions. So they're all very successfully going to hell by doing so. Anyway, there's no doubt from the material point of view, J.R.D. was a great man, well known in India. He's dead now. He's been dead for a few years. It'll happen to all of us. So like this, there have been so many great men, so many successes. So many. Who, who is the prime minister of the Seychelles Islands? Can anyone say? Maybe they don't have a prime minister. Maybe they have a president. Can anyone say? Anyone knows? Oh, you're all going to fail in your general knowledge tests. I don't know either. But I'm sure if you go to the Seychelles Islands, then when the prime minister or president, as the case may be, comes, everyone oh. It's the Prime Minister. Big shot. Big guy. Who's the Prime Minister of Bangladesh? That you should know. Anyone? Hmm? Hasina. She's out, isn't she? She's in again? I haven't been following the newspaper. It's uh, Begum's ear, isn't it? Okay. It's, you know, it's ping pong. Uh, one in, next time, like this. So, uh, I was in Bangladesh for a few years, as it was announced. And uh, in whoever happens to be the president or prime minister at the time, very big shot, the prime minister of Bangladesh, when he goes in the car, or she nowadays, then there'll be a big, they'll close all the roads. You don't see it so much in Bombay. In Delhi it happens all the time. All these ministers come and... They close the road and have a big calvert, big convoy of police cars with machine guns and everything. So, very big in Bangladesh. But the moment the Prime Minister of Bangladesh goes outside Bangladesh, no one gives a damn about them. If, in the United Nations, who cares? Bangladesh, Seychelles Islands. But in their own little well, big, big frog in a small well. So like that, there are so many big people Last night on the plane, I was sitting next to a DJ from Bombay, who must be somewhat of a big shot because they flew him out to Dubai for a one-day program. So within his, within his small circle, he's a big shot. People who know him, oh, he's the DJ. Everyone wants to be noticed. How many big, big 
successful people have there been? Great, great personalities. Who can, t who can tell me anything about Rembrandt? Can anyone say anything? Anything? Who? What, what is Rembrandt famous for? Can anyone say? Painting. He was a painter of sorts some time ago. Nowadays you just take a photo, but they, they painted pastoral scenes and all this kind of So great personality, but gone, dead and gone. Where is that greatness? Koto Chator Anana, Mare Mare Jautu, this Vidyapati scene. You know that song that Sutamita Romani Samaja, then that song it comes up. He's describing what is material life. That it's like a, the happiness in material life is like a drop of water in a desert. What is that happiness? Society, friendship, and love. So he goes on. Sutta means sons, friends, beautiful women. Sutta Mitta Ramani Samaj. So he says, How many Brahmas have come and gone? Great personalities. Come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. But this desire to be a success is so deep in the consciousness of every conditioned soul. People do all kinds of ridiculous things just to get noticed by others. Someone may, they may ride a motorbike and, and, and they take off from the edge of a cliff and jump, there's a, there's a, what do you call that, a ravine. And they drive their motorbike very fast. So they just jump over. But if they, they it's very dangerous because if they, if they don't do it, then phew, that's it. They're, they're dead. People do such dangerous stunts so they'll be noticed. People do all kinds of funny things. Someone, someone once ate a motor car. How can you eat a motor car? Someone did it. So he could say, I have eaten a motor car. You know what they did? He had it pulverized into powder and ate half a teaspoon every day. And then after a few years, he said, I ate a motor car. Just so that he can tell others, I ate a motor car. Anything to get noticed. Sometimes people kill others just so they can get noticed because just like uh, from our generation, our fallen generation, a very great figure in the Western world was John Lennon of the Beatles, a singer. So someone shot him dead about many years, about 20 years ago, shot him dead. So that person immediately became famous. That's one way to become famous. You shoot someone who's famous. Then you become famous. People are intoxicated by this idea. I should be where people should know about me. I should be noticed. Why? Why is that tendency there? Why is it even in our devotional service? We want to be noticed. We think the job of the guru is to praise us. Yes, yes, you have done very well. Although according to Shastra, his job is more to chastise us. But we think the guru is someone who pats us on the head and says, very good. But actually he's supposed to slap you in the face and say, very bad. But we think, oh, I, don't want a guru. I don't want a guru like that. I want someone who will say, I'm very nice. Why? Why this desire to be recognized that I am... Someone very great, whatever it may be, whatever we may do a little bit better than others, we desire to be noticed for that. If we can play the madanga nicer than others, or if we can remember many shlokas, or if we can tell jokes, or if we can dress the deities 
then people should notice that tendency is there, that perverted tendency is there, mixed up with our consciousness of service, which spoils our consciousness of service, then it stops being selfless. We're not actually doing it fully for Krishna's pleasure. Why is this? Because we have the diseased mentality of wanting to be in the position of Krishna. Krishna should be praised. But we think I should be praised. We want to be a success. We want that our children will be successes. In, in worldly estimation. Because we desire to be praised by others, not to be blamed. But this desire to be praised, to be socially acceptable, can be a great obstacle in devotional life. That's why, traditionally, uh, if one was really to make fast advancement in, in spiritual life, one should leave society. Sannyas. Leave it all behind. Don't mix up with society. Because as long as we're mixed with society, we'll be bound by its conventions. So this social pressure... It's so strong, people are so afraid to do something that the general society will not approve of. Or they're so much uh, desirous of being appreciated by others. This is very dangerous because the whole society is away from Krishna. So to be approved by people who are not Krishna conscious is actually a disqualification for becoming Krishna conscious. Not necessarily, but in many cases can be. Devotees, they live according to a different mindset that Krishna is to be praised and our success is to praise Krishna. And materialistic people will think, why are you spoiling your life? Why are you wasting your life in doing bhakti? You should... Utilize your time for the real goal of life, which is to advance your own personal selfish interest. They won't say that. They'll say to become a good citizen. They couch personal sense gratification in the idea that we're all working together for the advancement of the country. But this is their excuse. Everyone is swart abhilashi. Everyone wants their own gain. Even the parents, we think, oh, the, the parents love the children so much. If they actually love them, then they shouldn't flip out when they become devotees. They should be very happy. That, oh, now my, now my child is really becoming a success. They think, oh, now everyone will blame me. You didn't look after your child properly, therefore he's become a devotee. Or... You, you trained him so much to be a doctor or an engineer and now he's just becoming a sadhu. All that effort was wasted. So Krishna consciousness means to have a different outlook, different way of thinking to that of ordinary materialistic people. Krishna consciousness is not another flavor of Hinduism. Hinduism is just another 
binding force in this material world. This materialistic religion, we worship all the gods. We are so pious, we walk barefoot overnight to the Siddhi Vinayak temple. It seems to be, it's very religious, isn't it, to do so? Absolutely materialistic. Pious, absolutely materialistic. Why? Because they're going for how Ganesh can remove the obstacles in my material enjoyment. It's a long way from bhakti. But materialistic bhakti means that we do everything for the pleasure of Krishna. But general Hinduism is uh, just like any other mundane religion that we worship God for my own personal sense gratification. He should help me to enjoy myself in this material world. So Krishna conscious, it's not just that, well, it's an, an, a, a more moral form of Hinduism in which we don't eat onions or meat. We don't even drink tea. Very, very moral. And we chant the names of Krishna, very pious. No. Krishna consciousness is a different perspective. Krishna consciousness means to see reality as it is. That means from Krishna's point of view, understanding Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is the center. We are not the centers. We are not the ones to be praised. He is to be praised. Our existence is meant for praising Him only. Not only praising, serving Him. And serving not what will I get from it. I walked overnight even in the rain, to the Siddhi Vinayak temple. A lot of faith. But faith in what? I will get, I will be rewarded for my sense gratification. It's ultimately materialistic. So Krishna consciousness means to act for the pleasure of Krishna, which we can understand from understanding Bhagavad Gita as it is, through the Parampara system. A training in a complete restructuring of our consciousness. That we are not here to enjoy anything, we are here to be enjoyed by Krishna. That is the success of life. That is our actual success. When we give up Sarvopadivinir Muktam Tatparatvena Nirmalam Hrishikesha Sevanam Bhakti Ruchyate. When we give up all attempts to define ourselves in terms of this material world and define ourselves only, what is our identity? I am the servant of Krishna. All my senses are meant to be used for his gratification not for my own gratification. That is bhakti. That is what Prabhupada has taught us. Prabhupada means he's the representative of all the acharyas. It's what all the acharyas teach us. That is what Krishna teaches us. We have to approach Bhagavad Gita through the Purana. Necessarily we will misinterpret it. Bhagavad Gita cannot be understood only through pure intention, through pure consciousness. Hare Krishna. Is there any question about this? Hare Krishna. I have a question for you. Before I ask question, let me register my sincere gratitude for your excellent discourse on Bhagavad Gita as it is. My question is that 
Prabhuji, you mentioned in your talk that uh, Krishna is situ situated everybody's heart as a super sword. If so, Krishna is not... Not if so, there is no question of it. No, no, I am not disputing that. So, if, if I heart it, uh, I sincerely apologize for my use of words. And uh, in that case, why he is not stopping people from attracting towards Maya? And uh, another why reason, is why Krishna not stopping us being attracted towards Maya? Krishna gives everyone some measure of independence. That independence we can use to go towards Krishna or to go away from Krishna. Krishna wants us to love him. Love means voluntary. So we can voluntarily choose to serve Krishna or we can choose to forget Krishna. When we forget Krishna means that is acceptance of Maya. Krishna does not force us. But we choose to accept Maya. Krishna is calling us. He speaks Bhagavad Gita. He sends the Acharyas to teach us. He gives us opportunities to come to Him. It is up to us to choose whether or not to surrender to Him. Is that clear? Thank you. It is not Krishna's fault that we are suffering in this material world. It is our fault. It is not that we have a very pure desire, but it's Krishna's fault that we're in Maya. It's not like that. I am pure, but Krishna doesn't like me, so I'm in Maya. No, not like that. When Krishna is merciful to me, then I will surrender to him. Another rascal saying. Krishna is always merciful, but we are such rascals. We don't surrender. He's giving us all opportunities. When Krishna comes and personally falls at my feet and massages them, then I might consider surrendering to him. Krishna hasn't called me yet. So in the meantime, another pint of beer, please. Rascal, that's all. People make it sound very pious. Oh, when Krishna hasn't called me yet, when he calls me, I'll surrender to him. So it sounds very pious. Oh yes, you see, he's a very, very pious person. But he's blaming Krishna for his own fault. It's not pious, it's rascaldom. There's more rascaldom in India because people, they're closer to Krishna, so they have to... They have more knowledge of Krishna, so they have to make more excuses to avoid Krishna. So they become more demoniac in some ways. If you simply, if you're simply in a culture of, of no knowledge of Krishna, that's one thing. But if everywhere there's knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, and, and then still we avoid Krishna by making elaborate theories of how explaining Bhagavad Gita, don't surrender to Krishna. Then that becomes more demoniac. That's why we find in this purport, as throughout Bhagavad Gita as it is, Prabhupada is decrying the position of the Mayavadis who speak about Bhagavad Gita, they speak about Krishna, but they deny the supremacy of Krishna and of the need to surrender to him. But this is the major difficulty within Hinduism. There are so many 
good things, you can so pious. Now in uh, just in two days' time, there's that that uh, Ekadashi when in the Dindi in Pandrapur. So very, very pious. So many people walking from a long distance to go to Pandrapur. So like this, you'll find so many good things. So many people going to Darsha, Guru Vayurapan, and visiting Vrindavan, and doing Govardhan, Parikrama. So that's, these are good things. But uh, it's uh, this mixture with Mayava, thinking this misconception, actually demoniac misconception, of considering that ultimately God is not a person, or that we are all equal with God. This completely spoils everything. Therefore, spoils everything because in the name of bhakti, we maintain the attitude of not only avoiding Krishna, but wanting to kill Krishna. We take the position of the enemy of Krishna. The enemies of Krishna, they shot arrows at him, wanting to lacerate his body and cut it to pieces. So in the same way, the Mayavadis say that God has no form. It means he has no hands, no eyes, no legs, no tongue. No tongue means whatever he speaks, it's ultimately it's coming from nothing, so it's all nothing. So they're in the, they're in the same position. Conceptually, they're trying to kill Krishna. Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur, he analyzed that the prayers of the Mayavadis, they're praying to Krishna, so many nice prayers. They are more painful to Krishna than the arrows shot at him by his enemies. Because the arrows shot, at least you, it's open up front, they're being enemies. But someone who comes to you very sweetly talking and they want to stab you in the back, that's worse. One cannot become Krishna conscious as long as there's even the slightest trace of attachment to this Mayava. That's why, you see, most of you, you're coming from a, probably coming from a pious kind of background. That you, it may have been that previously to coming to Iskon, you're also worshipping Krishna. But clear knowledge would not have been there. That means there must have been worship of so many different bogus gurus and demigods and bogus avatars. And we think, well, I'll take up Krishna consciousness according to the ISKCON system. Actually, it's not ISKCON system, it's the absolute truth. ISKCON is, it's not that ISKCON is another sect. ISKCON is an organization that means it's the, uh, it's the means for Establishing the absolute truth. The absolute truth is Ekali, Ekale Ishvara Krishna Arasabhritta. Krishna is the Supreme Lord and all others are servants. So it's not that, well, we have in our home pictures of this bogus avatar and that bogus avatar and this bogus guru and that bogus guru and now we'll add Krishna and Prabhupada and it's all the same. Rather, when you want to take up Krishna consciousness seriously, then you should call the brahmacharis from the temple and ask them, you please come to our home. Oh, what for? To clean it up. 
Really? You want us to go to your home to clean? You won't ask like that. The brahmachari should come and do it for you without your asking because you'll never ask. Clean it up means get all the bogus books out, all the bogus pictures out and put everything nicely in order. Now you forget all that nonsense and surrender to Krishna. Otherwise, sometimes I'm, go I'm going to the homes of initiated devotees and they have their altars and there's still, you know, there's uh, this Baba and this Bapa. And <laughs> it's an insult. It's a great insult to Srila Prabhupada to put his picture next to the... I mean, Prabhupada wouldn't sit next to him. The first thing I ever read about Prabhupada, I was just a young boy, came in a newspaper, that uh, they had asked Prabhupada, there was some, at that time there was a famous so-called incarnation of God going around the western countries. He was from India. Everyone forgot him now. He made his millions of dollars and went back to India. So they asked Prabhupada, what do you think about him? Prabhupada said, he is not God, he is dog. I kick him in the face. What will he do? I urinate in his face. It's the first thing I read about Prabhupada. Now you may think, oh, that's very strong. Why is he speaking like that? But Prabhupada is making the point, these people are not, they're calling themselves God, they're the greatest cheaters. Prabhupada said, I'll kick in his face. Why? Two reasons. One reason is, that out of great disgust that this person can call themselves God. Another thing is if you kick him in the face, they'll prove that he's not God. Because no one kicks God in the face. No one defeated Krishna. So, understand this Prabhupada also. Generally, devotees, they like to hear stories of how Prabhupada told jokes and how he congratulated devotees. You should hear about this all. This is at least 50, probably more Prabhupada was decrying the position of all these bogus gurus and decrying the position of materialists. If we don't like to hear that, that means we have some disease. We don't want the operation. We're not ready with... We just like to hear nice stories, very sweet. But when we're diseased, we need some bitter medicine. That will be better for us. Otherwise, we'll just take Krishna consciousness as some kind of sentimentalism, nice stories, Krishna is dancing with the gopis, Krishna is stealing the butter. Mostly Prabhupada talk about, talked about established Krishna's position very philosophically and decried the position of, or the non-devotional position. If we only tell nice stories of leelas, then we're just kind of presuming that everyone's already a pure devotee. It's a very great presumption. We all have so many dirty things in our hearts. They need to be taken out. Cut with a knife. Bhaktisiddhanta Sartaka said the only duty of a sadhu is to cut with a knife all the misconceptions out of the heart. He says he stands like the executioner in the sacrifice to cut. Sounds very extreme. Yes, it's required. We all have so many 
misconceptions in our heart. Especially this mayavad is very, very strong. As, as, long as, we, as long as we have any attachment to anything but pure devotional service to Krishna as given by the Acharyas, as long as we have, a, just like we find many people have their family gurus, and then we want to go on, well, we want to go on respect. He's very nice, he's pious, he's a sadhu. We should understand these people, they are rakshasas, sucking our blood, worse. Even if they talk about Krishna, their motive is not to give us pure devotional service. It's very dangerous. We should reject. Because they're taking the position of guru, but they shouldn't. They're doing so on a cheating principle. They're not giving pure devotional service to Krishna. If their job as a guru, just like the Baba's found, the Baba's son becomes a Baba, and the Dobi's son becomes a Dobi, and the Guru's son becomes a Guru. It's a family profession. This is cheating. There's nothing wrong with the Baba's son becoming a Baba, but he should know how to cut the hair. If he doesn't, then why should you go to him? So Guru's son can become a Guru, but if he doesn't, Guru Anasasyat, he shouldn't become a Guru. Ritam. If he can't lead us out of this world of birth and death, he shouldn't become a Guru. It's simply cheating. We should know this. Anyway, is there any other question? Yeah. Yes, you have a good, strong voice. Did everyone hear that from the prosecution side? <laughs> now I'm now I'm in the dock. It is stated that we are talking about Krishna, but 97% of Shastra is speaking about Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha, and not Krishna. You analyze? It's exactly 97%. Well, that means you're also following the parampara. If you heard that from Gopinath, then why don't you take his version also? He's also, he's not a rascal like you. He's, he's, pre he's preaching Krishna consciousness, not why we should avoid Krishna. Anyway, as is stated by Vyasadeva, who compiled the Shastra, 100% either directly or indirectly compiled by him. He stated, Vede Ramayane Chaiva Purane Bharate Tata Adav Ante Tamadya Cha In all the Vedas, Ramayana, Purana, Mahabharata, Ityadi, in the beginning, end and middle, what is there? Dharma, Rata, Kama, Moksha? No. Hari Sarvatra Giyate. 
Only Hari is pleased, is praised. So, although it may appear that Shastra is not praising Krishna, actually all the Shastra is praising Krishna, and especially Madhvachar is analyzed how Sarve Veda Tatpadamamananti Upanishadik Vakya, that all the Vedas simply praise Krishna. So he's analyzed how every word means Krishna. So that's one answer, that actually all the Shastras are praising Krishna. But from the materialistic point of view, or from the, if we don't come to the uh, Adhokshaja platform, or transcendental platform, if we analyze with the Akshaja, or simply the mundane eyes, or the mundane outlook, it would appear that most of the Shastras don't directly praise Krishna. They don't speak about Krishna. Why is that? Because 97% of the population are fools and rascals. And therefore, as I stated in the class, what do they say in court to the barrister? Your honor is for the judge. What, do we, what should I address you as? Mahaprabhu Prabhu. Anyway, I'm just pretending you're a barrister in the court. So, if you had been actually listening to the case that I was making, you might have come in late, you might have noticed that I had stated how most of the Shastras are in the Karmakanda section to help people to come to the platform of piety, which is actually intrinsically not better than Pap, but it helps people just to come to the platform where they can begin to come to Krishna consciousness. So the purpose of the Vedas is understood by those who have entered into it very deeply. Prabhupada told a story there was of Vyasadeva. Why Vyasadeva has given the actual message of Shastra in Srimad Bhagavatam, and he also states in the Bhagavatam in the beginning that Dharma Projata Kaitava Atra, that in previous Shastras to this, there may have been cheating Dharma in the name of the Dharma Artha Kama Moksha, but in Srimad Bhagavatam, there is only that which is relishable by Paramo Nirmatsaranam Satam, by topmost non-envious devotees who are interested in the absolute truth. So, uh, Prabhupada gave it, so Srimad Bhagavatam particularly expressly delineates Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Service to Him, that is the perfection of life. That is the meaning of life. So, why is that then? So many different books describing so many different things. Even Narad Muni, chastised Vyasadeva. Why have you written so many books? Jogopsitam, it's abominable. You've written so many things which are not directly Krishna conscious. Prabhupada explained a story in this regard giving the example of a drama which was called Shajahan, which is written by a Bengali, a uh, story which is written by a Bengali by the name of something Roy. There are many Roy's in Bengal. So I can't remember exactly what his name was. So uh, the story is that Shajahan was sitting on his throne one day and his son, whose name was, okay, you studied your history, Aurangzeb, 
uh, locked him up in prison. And which was quite kind of him, considering that he killed pretty much everyone else all around. So uh, then the whole story is about Aurangzeb doing this atrocity and doing that atrocity and killing that person and killing that person. But the title of the book is Shah Jahan. And someone asked, why did you call it? Should have, the title should have been Aurangzeb. But then the author explained that actually the topic is Shah Jahan. He's not described so much, but the topic is that he is sitting in the prison and lamenting how all these things his son is doing, how he's become such a big rascal. So, although actually if you go to Pakistan, they'll teach Aurangzeb was a great, great leader, and this Akbar was a rascal, because he was more like a Hindu. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, so, Prabhupada explained that if we want to know what is the purpose of a book, we should ask the author, what does the author say? There are some very strange schools of, of literary interpretation in the modern age. This uh, deconstruction, it's a kind of psychological insanity, in which they analyze the literature without any concern for what the author is expressing. They just interpret it in their own way. But actually, if, if the author has written, I have, a book is written for a particular purpose. Just like there was one book, sorry, my memory is poor, there was one, there was one book written, Uncle Tom's Cabin, something like that. It was written to awaken consciousness of how bad slavery is. What was that book called? You don't know. It's from American history. So that book was written, it was a novel written with the express purpose of awakening consciousness in people of how bad slavery, that time the black people were slaves in America. So people write books, the books which are supposed to awaken social awareness. There are so many such books. Charles Dickens wrote books like Oliver Twist. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote books like The Gulab Archipelago, which they have a purpose of... They're written with the idea of awakening people's consciousness of various social anomalies. So Prabhupada gave the example, if we, if we want to know the purpose of the book, we have to ask the author. It may not be obvious from reading the book. If we read some book, some of the Vedas glorifying Mitra, Varuna, Indra, Agni, and we say, well, where's Krishna? And then they say, oh, Vishnu came later. And then there was this Krishna who was a, who was a jungle god. After all, he was just in the forest of Vrindavan. And then he became identified with Vishnu. We have so many theories. But if we want to know what is the actual purpose of a book, we have to see what does the author say. The author says, the author of all the Vedas, Vyasadeva, describes that in the Bhagavatam, which is the ultimate 
Vedic Shastra, which is described in Bhagavatam itself, the subject matter is Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Paribhasha Sutra, definitive statement. So, as lawyers know, um, the law is written, but to understand it is not a layman's job. If someone has to defend a case and they think, I won't take a lawyer, will he win? Even if he may think, my case is so good, I don't need a lawyer. Lawyers laugh at such people, isn't it? <laughs> they don't know the intricacies of the law. So in any uh, complex topic, what may appear to be the fact to the layman may not be at all. We have to go deeply. Yesterday some people came to me. They were charging me. You see, in Shastra there are so many contradictions. So they wanted to say that in Shastra there are so many contradictions, therefore we can't accept Shastra as fact. Just like here in this shlok, Krishna says, Mang tu veda na kaschana. No one knows me. Then, bhaktya mama bijanati. I can be known by devotional service only. Contradiction. So they were convinced. Uh, we, got, we got the Swami now. Now we got him. So, contradictions. Shastra, contradictions. Well, in any complex subject, there are apparent contradictions. What to the layman may seem like contradictions, but those who are actually advanced in that knowledge, they see there's not a contradiction, but rather there are different levels of truth which are applicable in different circumstances. This is not just tongue-twisting, trying to avoid the subject. I'll give some examples. Just like when we are studying at school mathematics, we learn what seems to be an axiomatic fact, that there is no square root of a negative integer. Right? Because if you... Square root means you, you multiply... Minus, if multiply any minus number by minus, you only get positive. So that is an axiom in mathematics that there is no square root of a negative integer. And now, yes, yes, we all know that, yeah. But if you go to higher mathematics, you will find that there is the figure which is denoted by the symbol I, which is used for solving problems at a higher level, uh, that uh, I is the square root of minus one. I can't explain that because I'm not that much advanced in mathematics, but I'm just making the point, it is an apparent contradiction, which those who are advanced in mathematics can understand, but those who are not, to them it just seems like a contradiction. Similarly, in physics, we study that there are atoms, subatomic particles, electrons, neutrons, 
and the electron is such and such distance from a neutron, it's like a whole universe. So, uh, we, we study that there are solids, liquids, and gases. But when we come to higher physics, we find everything is just waves. There are no electrons or atoms or solids. Everything is, everything is just wave particles. So it's a contradiction. It appears to be a contradiction. Those who are advanced in the science can understand it. Those who are not shouldn't contradict what they don't understand. They shouldn't mock. You should study. When you study more, you can understand. If a, if a child comes in, the physicists are discussing among themselves, and they're discussing her different theories, and the child says, well, I can't understand, you're just talking nonsense. Who will give any credence to the child? Anything else? What time are we supposed to finish? Your Holiness. Your Holiness. Where's the, where's the sound box? I was hearing it over here. See, I'm so puffed up, someone calls your holiness, and I immediately look. If he'd called out you rascal, I should have looked. Oh, he's calling me. Your holiness. Ah, lowliness. The last week, I was in Delhi. Last week you were? I was in Delhi. You were in Delhi. Yes. Right. I was going through one article written by an interna internationally well-known spiritual teacher. Sounds like a dangerous person. His Grace, His Grace Sri Sri Ravishankarji. The article goes like this. Lord, are you, are you sure you want to read this in front of the deities? Yeah. Is, it, is this all right to read in front of the deities? Um, yes, relating to some deity matter. Not controversial, but uh, I would like to have your views or comments how far the article goes. Lord Krishna, the father of communism. The father of what? Communism. Communism? Communism. Lord Krishna... Lord Krishna, the father of communism. That's the name of the article. Yeah. Modern communism however, misses the importance of spirituality. Now, I will go through about four or five paragraphs from the article. You really want to go through all this? Article I am having with me. You, have, you want to go through all of this? I think you should see me afterwards. There's, there's not a hot demand for this. I mean, already he's made a mistake. Lord, to call Krishna the father of communism. No, therefore, no, it is not his, not committed any mistake. He has given the essence in the articles. Therefore, I would like to go through... Well, we have a... In, in terms of democracy, we have a large section over here who are, by their faces, giving a vote. So they, they don't want to hear this, actually. So... In communism, we should also... It's supposed to be the rule of the people, right? So, I think you're getting voted out here. Uh, Your Holiness, in the interest of the devotees... Wait a minute, you shouldn't take a position of Stalin, now. 
who should follow the mass, they don't, it seems to be not wanted. If you want, you can discuss later. But I don't think it's good to read this anyway so much in front of the deities. We should pray something 